right, man, we are coming to the end of the book of Romans. It's been a long haul, hasn't it? But it's been good. It's been a good one. Hey, welcome uh, to New Hope again. And uh, my name's Tim, lead pastor here, and I'm excited to preach this morning. You guys are excited to learn and grow? You ready? Yeah. All right, man, you guys are all in. All right, here we go. Um, if you want to, you can open your Bibles um, and get to the book of Romans chapter 14. I think that's what I'm preaching. What am I preaching? Yeah, 14. We'll do 14. All right. Um, and so uh, we'll get there in just a couple of minutes in chapter 14 and, uh, and dig into it. Now here at New Hope, if you're new around here, uh, if you're just joining us online for the first time, this is how we do our sermons. We teach through books of the Bible because we want you to understand how God's word works. We want you to understand how the Bible works. And so that way you're not confused when you see this giant book with all these different books inside of the book with all these little numbers and passages. It's like, it can be very overwhelming. And so we try to make God's word make sense in small snippets every Sunday. And, uh, and so that's my goal this morning. We're going to take the entire chapter this morning. And so I'm going to pray uh, in a minute that God gives me the grace to do so. All right. It's been a while since I've led worship and preached at the same time. So, um, and I didn't have my Twinkie yet. So if you miss that sermon, you don't know what I'm talking about, all right? Twinkies is Tim's throat medicine, all right? It coats so nice and smooth. It's really great. Um, so anyways, uh, what we do here with that too is we want you to read God's Word, you know, and eat as many Twinkies as you want. But you can eat God's We want to read God's Word every week, and um, we have these series guides to help you do that. If you don't have one, there's, they're on the tables in the back, a physical copy, or you can use it online or on our mobile app again. And uh, we encourage you to do that, to read God's Word each day. That's why we have a reading plan. We give you a, a way to spend some time with God um, in, on that form. And on that, too, is our memory verse, because we want to hide God's Word where? First, our head, and then it moves to our hearts, so we can do something with our hands, right? Head, heart, hands. We want to live it out, right? And, uh, and that's what happens when we memorize God's Word and hide it in our head, our hearts, and it changes the way we live. And so now we're moving to verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2. It's the second half of this uh, part of the series. And, uh, and so we were encouraged to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Right? Every day we're giving ourselves to God and letting him work in our lives. This is the second one. So we're going to read this out loud together. This is Romans 12, verse 2. Everybody ready? All right, let's read it together. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm glad that his will is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. He's got a will and a plan. And he asks us, he asks us to come before him and to offer ourselves to that will, that good will, that plan, to not be conformed. Remember the jello mold? I, I don't know how you couldn't, all right? Because like the worst one was the SpaghettiO jelly mold with hot dogs in the middle. Anybody remember that one in the series? Okay. If you don't know, you got to go back and watch that message on Romans 12, okay? Um, we don't want to be like that. We want to be transformed, you know, into a butterfly. We want to be transformed by God and, and his, he's got something good for us to transform us into something good. And this morning, I believe he wants to transform us a little bit more as we continue to learn and grow in Romans chapter 14. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read just a few verses, even though I'm teaching the whole chapter. Um, I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Romans chapter 14 out loud to, together. And so if you can stand with us, if you're able to stand, um, we stand here at New Hope to honor the Word of God. So even, I would say, if you're at home or on a camp or wherever you might be, join us and, and stand and honor God's Word together as we do that. And, uh, and I'll read it here. So this is Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, and I'm reading from the NIV. And it says this, it says, Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling or over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. 
The only one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. The one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains so to the Lord and gives, gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brothers or sisters? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all, for we all will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. God, there's a lot in this passage today. <clears throat> there's a lot for us to understand and a lot to unpack. And so we need your grace today, God. We need your Holy Spirit to work in each of us because all of us are coming with different stuff. All of us need to receive different things. And it's only you that knows the depths of our hearts. And so would you speak to each of us, God, this morning, however you will. We give it to you and give this time to you in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. amen. Awesome. You guys can have a seat. Let me see what my next slide is. All right, we're going to hang out here. <clears throat> our family, we've got three kids. And uh, I remember when they were babies, when they were born. And um, it's a good thing I remember that, right? It's like, well, duh, I hope you do, Tim, right? Like, good for you, you remember, right? Like, like, but like if those of you who have had kids, like, you remember those, those, those times, they're like precious times. Um, and I remember bringing them into our home, and things change in your home the moment you bring a baby into your home, right? Like, like things are like, a little different, and all of a sudden there's more toys than you ever knew existed, and there's more noises on those toys that wants you to buy a sledgehammer, right? Like, like there, it can be like your house changes the moment a, a baby enters into the, into the house. And, and there's this thing that people do, and they, it's called baby-proofing, right? They baby-proof their house. They want to make sure that the house is safe for when that, that, that kid starts crawling and starts getting into things, the little knickknacks are no longer on the bottom shelves, right? Like, and, uh, and the, the sharp knives, you don't just lay them on the floor anymore, right? Like, I, like you just decide, like, that's, that might, might not be safe. And so we're going to put those a little higher, you know? Like, you, you do things to make sure that, that your house is safe for the baby. And now, it's interesting because every family, and, and I don't even know, like, today when you have a baby, what happens? Like, it seems like every generation, it changes. Like, oh, well, you can't do this, and you have to have this, and you go by that, or you don't do this. And, like, it was different for us when we were raising our kids, and they're little than it is today. And so, so it changes, you know? And, and some families get very, like, particular on how they baby-proof their house. Like, they baby-proof their house so much that, like, there's no corner on any of the walls that has anything, like, sharp. It's like they put foam everywhere, and, like, you know, like, oh, there's the mantle. We're going to tear out the mantle because we have a baby now, right? So they tear out the mantle and tear out the brick, and they, they're like, okay, we're going to nerf our house. Our whole house is just nerf flooring now, right? So it's, like, everything just, like, super, like, make sure there's nothing ever that's going to harm or hurt 
uh, that baby, and they just want to make sure, you know, it's all, everybody's safe. Everybody's really safe. And then there's other families who are like, oh, they'll survive, right? So, like, the, the baby comes in, it's like, we're not changing, this is our life, you know? They're coming in, and it's like, if they hit their head on the corner, they're going to learn, don't hit your head on the corner. Like, like, and so, like, there's some people, that's how they raise their kid. It's like, they, they live it, and then it's like, I don't know if you see the difference in different kids, and you can be in the same household, and the kids are different, right? Like, like, there's those kids that they'll be running around, all of a sudden, just nail the corner of their head, or, or their head right in the corner of the wall, and, like, all of a sudden, there's, like, this big bruise, and it's bleeding, and they just get right back up and keep running. And you're like, what just happened, right? Like, that kid, like, either that kid's going to be, like, a linebacker or a bouncer or end up in prison. I don't know what's going to happen with that kid, right? But that kid can survive in the wilderness longer than me. That's all I know. You know, like, that, some kids are like that. And then there's other kids that are just walking, trip, and drop their bottle, and it's over, right? The rest of the day is like ruined and ah, like it was just a bottle that was carpet. You're fine, right? Like so, so some kids are like super sensitive and like they just anything happens and it's just on, right? The, the waterworks are on, things are a little bit crazy. Some of you, you know, with your kid, maybe you should have not just baby proofed your house, but baby proofed the kid, right? Like, and you having kids like this, they, they should probably look like this, right? Like that's. <laughs> That's what you should do, you know, you should wrap them up in like, there's life, you know, <laughs> like, I think you're okay, you got your helmet, you got your, you know, I thought that was a hilarious picture, uh, you know, one of our boys, our middle son, Nat, like, there were times where like, maybe we should do that, like, like, he just, he kept breaking something, you know, and um, we have those kind of kids, um, and then, then some of your parents are more like, but I want them just to learn by experience, right? And so when a kid goes into the refrigerator and they see this little bottle that looks like a lemon, they're like, oh, is that lemonade? And, and this is what, you know, some parents would be like, no, 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 that's not, you don't want to drink that. But then there's other parents that say, okay, let me grab my camera, right? Like, <laughs> let's see what's about to go down. And that's, this is what happened. Like, this is, this is this parent. drink from that bottle again heck no that kid's like thanks dad for getting the camera and making sure that like this is going to be seen by hundreds of people on a sunday morning right like that's some of your parenting metal like now here why am i why am i talking about parenting and all this kind of stuff here's why i'm saying all this every single kid is different right every single kid grows up differently every single kid has a different wiring and how they're wired and do you know what's amazing so do you, because you were once one of those kids who grew up, now you're a weird adult, right? Like, we all have weird things that are different. We're different than each other. We are all different, and that is okay. It's okay. It's okay if you parents say, drink the bottle, and it's okay if you say, don't do that, it's going to be bad. Like, it, as long as it's not poison, right? Okay, at that point, it's like, you're a bad parent, right? Don't, <laughs> let's see what happens. Trip to the ER, you know, like, no, 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 no. You don't want to hurt people. Like, you're not trying to hurt others, but like, when we think about us, we are all at different stages, even spiritually. In our relationship with God, we're all at different stages. And we all understand God differently, and we're all trying to learn about God, reading Scripture and praying, and, but we're all in a different place, and that is okay. And so we get to this point, and, and we're learning something from Paul in Romans chapter 14 that we all need to understand. Actually, he, he said it in the book of Philippians, says it this way. It says, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So don't be about you, right? It says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you, the interest to the interests of others is what he's saying, right? Like, 
So we shouldn't be selfish and self-seeking. We need to think of others. And the reality is when you think of others, you got to think of others where they're at, not where you think they should be, right? And so that's what we're learning this morning. We're going to learn and unpack this um, this together because this is, you, I, sneak peek, this is what we need to do. We give grace while we all grow. That's what we do. You can fill in the blank if you have your worship programs. You can take notes or, or in your own journal. That, that Paul is saying at the beginning, we choose as Christians to give grace to each other as we're all growing. Like, I, I, can't, I can't judge you where you're at. You are just where you're at. I can help you, right? And you can't judge me where I'm at. Like, you can help me. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to give grace while we're all figuring this thing out and while we're all growing. We're all at different stages. Some of us need bubble wrap. Some of us need to drink the lemon juice, right? Like, some, like, like and it's, a, it's okay either way, right? Like, we just need to think of others. Now, we use this thing here at New Hope to help us understand each other and to show grace to each other. And if you go through, um, well, if you go through Equip, you're going to get it. If you go through our growth track, you're going to see this picture. And it's this picture that we call the discipleship wheel is what we call it because it looks like a wheel. It's got a hub and spokes and different sections and all sorts of stuff. And with this, it helps us understand where we might be spiritually because we are all growing at different paces. We've all are different stages of our walk with Christ. Like we are all at a different place. And to help us understand each other, we just use this as a tool here at New Hope. It's really more of a self-assessment tool. Like, where, where am I at with God? Like, how am I practically living out in, my, in, in being a Christian? Like, what does this look like? And so let me explain it real quick, and, and we'll, you'll understand it by the end, right? Before you know God, you are spiritually dead, meaning you're just living for yourself and living for the world. God is just this, he might be out there, he might not, but it's just about you. But spiritually, you are dead. You're separated from God. Our hope for you is that you'll understand what God has done for you and that you will experience salvation. Why do we call it salvation? Because we're saved from sin. We're saved from the condemnation of sin. We're saved to be with God. And so when you experience salvation and then God enters in, things start to stir up. Things start to change. But when you were dead, you lived a certain way. You lived a certain life. You you lived for yourself. You did certain things. And when you become a Christ follower, it's not like the whole old self disappears. That's not what happens. It's a journey. And so we say you become a spiritual infant. You're very young in your faith. And you don't know what you don't know, but you're just excited. I, I know Jesus, right? And that's all you need to know to get to heaven. That's all you need to know to be saved is I know Jesus. That's the only question that's going to be asked for your salvation. How'd you get here? Jesus said I could come. That's it, right? But you're still going to be living in sin. You're still going to be ignorant about certain things. And you're still going to probably live for yourself in a lot of ways. And so you're going to have other Christians around you trying to help you, help you grow. You're going to start to read the Bible. You're going to start to learn some things and hopefully grow. As you grow, you become a spiritual child. This is a natural flow of growth, right? You, you go, go from an infant to a child. But a child, when you think about children, children are typically self-centered, right? We would call children in your own household, if you've got kids, they consume a lot, don't they? They're there to receive. You, you take care of them, you provide for them, and they just receive everything you give them. And, and they're just they're trying to grow, and they are growing, and they're learning. But they're there really to just get from, right? And so spiritual children, as they grow, they show up to church, and your mentality is, I'm here to get stuff. I'm here to, to get understanding. I'm here to get from other people. I'm here to get love. I'm here. It's, it's more about what you're getting from 
than giving to, right? You're just receiving, and that's okay. You're starting to build friendships with other Christians, and in that relationship, you're more getting out of that relationship than the other person, and that's okay. They're helping you grow. So that's a spiritual child. You go from being ignorant, now you're starting to learn. Things are starting to change inside of you, and you're starting to be transformed, Romans 12 too, right? And so with that, you hopefully would continue to grow to become a spiritual young adult. Now, when you become a young adult, at least when you're a young adult in our house, we want you to leave the house, right? We want you to, we want you to start producing things in life, not just receiving. Like, now go out and use your gifts. Now go out and get a job. Now go out, go to college, whatever it might be. And that's what a young adult does. They stop being about me. They start thinking about others. And so when you become a spiritual young adult, something switches inside of you saying, okay, I've, I've grown enough. I'm growing. I want to give something back. Now, I want to help somebody, right? And so you start to become more God-centered, and you start serving other people and using your gifts in the church. And, and you see God's fruit in that, and you get excited because God's using you in somebody else's life, which is it's so much fun. So much fun, Okay. And then you, as you continue to grow from a spiritual young adult, the goal is to become a spiritual parent, meaning you are able to be mature enough. You understand God's word enough. You, you, you're growing to what we call a BGP. That's a big godly person. Um, people need BGPs. People need big godly people in their life, like spiritual infants, need a BGP to help them learn and grow and understand and show them grace, Right? Children need a BGP, somebody who is mature, who starts mentoring other people and helping them grow and understanding God's word and praying for them. And so then it continues because now they're reaching out to people who are spiritually dead and helping them understand who Jesus is and helping them down that journey and on that path. That's why we call it a discipleship wheel, because we're all called to help the person below us, to mentor, to grow. Does that make sense? And so with this, this is kind of, we don't use this to judge other people. That's not the point. That's the opposite of Romans 14. We use this to help us self-assess, where am I? And where I am is okay, and we're all in different places. If I'm this big godly person, and I keep seeing this Christian doing the stupidest things, why do they keep doing that? Why do they keep sinning in that way? And I just start pointing my finger. I'm not looking like Romans 14. I'm judging thinking they should be where I am. Why aren't they? It's their fault. Instead, a mentor says, I know why they're not there, and I'm going to love them. And I'm going to walk beside them. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to study God's words. They understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we're always helping each other in the spirit and this culture of love and grace. That's what we do. We give grace while we all grow. That's what we're called to do. And the reality is, honestly, the more I grow in Christ the more humble I become, to be honest. Like when I think about 19-year-old Christian Tim, oh, I had life figured out. Oh, I knew everything, right? And now I know I know nothing. <laughs> like, like that, and those of you who are older, you, amen, right? Like the older you get, you realize, okay, I'm a little bit more humble than I was when I was 19 because I realize I don't know as much as I thought. And that is okay. And so I'm not gonna judge this person for not knowing because I thought I knew but I didn't. And so I'm going to show way more grace to the people who are growing. Okay? This is what we do. And so we get in, okay, now we're getting to the back end of the Bible, okay? So now we take that and we go to Romans 14. We see that Paul is talking to the church in Rome. And in Rome, you would have these two cultures simultaneously as Christians walking side by side. One was the Jewish culture. Those that were Jews grew up with the religion, grew up with all the tradition and all that stuff. We don't eat this meat. 
Uh, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Uh, we, we do these certain things. And when they became Christ followers, they still continued in some of those traditions. And then you have these Gentiles who are just like, I just live for myself and I ate whatever I wanted to and every day was the same. And so I became a Christian and now I'm saved and now they're telling me I have to and I'm saying, I don't think I have to. And you see the tension that's going on when cultures collide. And so Paul is speaking in chapter 14 about those cultures colliding and saying, it's not about the little nitty gritty stuff. It's not about if you eat or don't eat, if you do this or that. He gets right to the heart to help us understand what this looks like. Now, I want us to be careful because his discussion, the discussion he's bringing, we, we hear very specific things. He's talking about food, drink, and the Sabbath, okay? All of these things are non-salvation issues, okay? So when he's talking about Romans 14 and not judging each other, he's talking about over the things where there's no clear God said, do it this way for us in the New Testament under the New Covenant. If there's no clear, and it's this gray area of like, drink Kool-Aid, don't drink Kool-Aid. Well, I don't like the non-Kool-Aid people. I like Kool-Aid, right? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, he's like, that is a non-salvation issue. Whether you take communion every single Sunday at church or you do it once a month at church, a non-salvation issue. Whether you, no, I'm going to be careful. because. So he's talking specifically about the culture. And in that culture, the Jews didn't want to eat meat because some of the meat in Rome was being sacrificed. These animals are being sacrificed to idol worship. They're being sacrificed in a, in a, in a temple, in a pagan temple, and then, and then they would sacrifice it. There'd be a lot of meat left over, and then they would take that meat then to the market, and you could buy that meat in the market, and then you can cook it for your family. And, and so like the Gentiles are like, I don't see a problem. It's good meat. Like, I, like, and and the, some of the Jews were like, but no, no, that was sacrificed to idols. That means it's like, it's evil, and we can't eat it. And, and honestly, we're going to see where Paul ends. He says, it doesn't matter. That's what he says. God says, I made the meat. is good. Now, if you, use this, if you use this passage to say, see, vegetarians are evil, right? Like, like it says, one's weaker in faith and only eats vegetables, right? Like, that's not what he's saying. He's not like, this isn't like anti-vegetarian you know, kind of a conversation, Right? But what, he, what he's talking about is the tensions between those things. Like, we talk about things, even still today, that divide churches, right? Um, alcohol. Alcohol is one of those topics that's like, you know, there's some churches, denominations where it's no big deal. Like, like the pastors, you know, drinking up front, just having a party. No, I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. Don't go to that church where the pastor's like, hey, everybody, let's do the Holy Spirit. You know, like, don't do that. All right. That's, that's a wrong church, right? That's... And then there's some churches that say, if you even take a sip of alcohol, you're a sinner, right? Like, even go near it. If it's in your house, oh my gosh. Like, and so you see the separation divide. The only scripture that we see in the New Testament about drinking alcohol is don't get drunk. So there is a line. When it takes you over, the Holy Spirit's no longer over you. He said, that's the line, right? And so there is a line attached to that. But just having some wine in your house or drinking a beer from time to time, like, I don't see anything wrong with that in Scripture. So he's like, why would you argue about this? Why would you let that bring attention? So we're talking about the differences in tradition and in culture, and that these differences um, shouldn't divide us as Christ followers. This is where we allow grace with each other while we all grow. But at the same time, 
we should give each other preference, right? Meaning, I'm not going to go to India and be like, well, I'm a Christian and I can eat beef when they have all these cows rolling around and all these cows in India. Just so you know, there was it Hinduism, right? Um, if I'm wrong, I apologize. So like with that, they worship cows, right? Like for them, a cow is a holy thing. And so they don't eat beef. You don't see Indian people eating beef. But if I say, hey, come over to my house, we're having some steak, that's me being rude. It's putting something in front of them that doesn't, it's not me honoring their culture, right? That's, you show respect to each other's differences. It's like if I had an alcoholic come over to my house, I'm not putting a big bottle of wine in the middle of the table. I'm going to give them preference and understanding. It's not a sin issue. It's a gray issue. That's what we're talking about, non-salvation issues that don't have a clear biblical rule attached to it. So some of these, you know, drinking alcohol, watching certain shows or movies. Some people watch some, some people don't. Having certain diets, the Sabbath day, do we keep a Sabbath day? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Just so you know, biblically, the Sabbath day was Saturday, okay? And so those of you say, well, Sunday's the holy day. It wasn't biblically, like in the Old Testament. So like you're even making a biblical thing not biblical. And so why are you fighting about something that, and then there's, I'll stop. I'm going to, what time is it? All right, I don't want to waste my time on all this, okay? Because then you, you get really crazy because it's like certain worship styles. You got to play the organ or it's not church or you got to do this or it's not, you know what I'm saying? You get these different traditions. What you believe about end times, are we pre-trib or post-trib or odd-trib or trib or trib or trib, right? Like, like, what do we do about spiritual gifts? There's so many things that divide the church. And so he's saying in Romans 14, why are you allowing the enemy? Never use differences as a foothold for division, because that is when it becomes sinful, arrogant, and allows Satan to work inside the church. And so he's warning, and he's teaching us, let's look at the heart. How do we treat each other, okay? So let me get to the next point. Let's, let me move on. Okay, different situations. We do not, as Christians, we do not cause others to stumble by our choices. That's us giving grace while we grow. We do not cause others to stumble by our choices. Okay? Let's, let's read this part in Romans 14, starting verse 13. He says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. It's like, decide, right? By our choices, we're going to decide to not cause somebody else to stumble. He says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in, in itself. So Paul is kind of saying, everything's clean. The Jews would say, no, certain things aren't clean. And Paul's like, no, 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 God approves. If he, didn't, if he didn't directly say, like he approves, that nothing is unclean. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean, right? So if somebody believes that is, I can't do that. There's a conviction inside of them that says, I can't do that, or I can't watch that, or I can't have that. Okay. For them, then, it is unclean. They've made a conviction in their heart. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. It says, do not, by your eating, destroy someone with whom Christ died. Instead, choose to give them preference, right? Choose to honor that conviction that they've made in their life, and don't judge them, and don't like be like, well, that's your conviction, but I'm going to do it anyways right in front of you. 
that is no longer love, right? That is selfish ambition. That's you trying to make a point. Well, God says, I can. Sorry, you can't, right? Your faith is weak. My faith is strong. You're a vegetarian. I'm a meditarian, right? Like, a, he's like, no. Meditarian, is that a thing? This is where we have, it can be. <laughs> this is where, this is where, listen to this, this is where we choose love over logic, okay? Because sometimes decisions aren't logical for other people. Like, it's logical for them, but for you, like, I don't understand logic. Let's, let's play a little game. Everybody, you ready to play a little game? This is interaction. I need to show hands, uh, and you can celebrate as much as you want with the thing I'm about to say, okay? So if you want to clap and woo and get all in, go for it. How many of you in this room really love Coke? All right, Coca-Cola. If, you, are you, if your preference was, yeah, I'm going to drink a Coke. Okay, all right, we got one. One over here is like, yeah, that's Jesus' drink. All right, so... <laughs> How many of you, if you had a, 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 a you know, if you wanted a cola, would you get a Pepsi? Just show hands of the Pepsi Woo! people, all right? He has one in his hand right now. Now, here's the thing. One of you is wrong. If you raise your hand on Coke, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Jesus prefers Pepsi. Oh, I'm going to ask him when, when I see him. I'm going to be like, Jesus? Settle this once and for all, right? Like Coke or Pepsi, right? <laughs> all right, now you're getting, okay. Now here, now why did I have you do that? All, there's a big, you know, there's a difference. And different people in this room prefer one over the other. So if you come over to my house, just, you know, it's going to be a Pepsi. But if I know you love Coke, do you know what's going to be in my refrigerator? A Coke. I'm not going to drink it. It rots your teeth, y'all. Like, I'm not going to do it. It cleans chrome bumpers. Like, I'm just saying, like, have you seen YouTube? Just go, all right? I'm just kidding. All of it's bad for you. So it does, it's like, it's like one, one bad thing over the other. But here's the thing. Why did I say that? Because some of, some of, like, for those Pepsi people, it's the logical choice. I don't understand the logic between drinking Coke. Or it's the other way. The Coke people are like, I don't understand the logic. Why? We choose love over logic. Does that make sense? If it makes sense to you, but not to them, I choose love over logic. That's what he calls us to do. Okay, next point. Next point is this. We, as Christians, we edify and live in peace with others. We edify each other and we live at peace with others. This is the choice we make. Okay? This is uh, verse 19. Let us therefore... Make every effort. How much effort? Every. every. That's whatever effort we got. It's like make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. As Christians, that's what we're called to do. Make every effort. If there's a difference, I'm choosing love over logic, and I'm going to make every effort to live at peace with you. Right? And to edify you. Now, this word edify, we don't use... That word, at least I haven't used it outside of Christian. Do I have the definition? No. The, the word edify, it means to improve, to uplift, or to build up someone. Right? Like if I'm edifying you, it means I'm encouraging you, I'm building you up, I'm lifting you up. It's the opposite of judgment and tearing somebody down. So I'm going to make every effort to wherever you are in your walk with Christ, whatever interaction I have with you, my hope is that you'll be built up somehow whether it's that much or that much, 
That's the way we're called to live. And as I do it, I want to be at peace with everyone. As long as it depends on me, I'm going to do my best, every effort, to live at peace with others. Sometimes it's on them, right? Sometimes, like, you can't live at peace with somebody, but that's not on you. It might be on them. They're not willing to do that. They're not willing to do what it takes. And so this pushes me to the question that we learned um, last week, because when we're talking about edifying, living at peace, we're choosing love over logic, the question in any of these circumstances that we ask is the same question that I asked last week. And I think this is the question of our life. What does love require of me in this? That is a great question to ask no matter what the circumstance, isn't it? What does love require of me in this? It requires me to edify, and it requires me to live at peace. That's what love would require me in that circumstance. If we let love win, God wins. If we let disunity win, Satan wins. I'd rather be on God's winning team. Amen? I'd rather be on his side in this process. And then the last question, or the last fill in the blank, is a question that we ask ourselves because he gets so real in verses 10 through 12. I mean, this is the most challenging part of this passage. And, and, uh, and this, let me, I'm going to come back to the fill in the blank. Whoa, whoa, backwards. Let me read the passage and then I'll come back. He says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. He says, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow. How many knees? Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. There is a time where every human will stand before God's judgment seat and give an account for our lives. Whether you're saved or lost, all of us. And when he's talking about this in this passage here, he's talking about like not judging other people because he's saying your job is not to sit in the seat of judgment. When you do, you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing, scoot over. God sits in the seat of judgment. God knows the heart. God knows everything about all of us. The only one who can rightly judge every single human is God. I can't judge because I don't know you. I don't know your whole story. I don't know your childhood. I don't know why you keep making the same mistake. I, like that, Why would I judge you? Because I certainly don't want you looking at me and judging me because you don't know my whole childhood. You don't know all my issues. You know what I'm saying? He said, God is the one that sits on the throne. But our actions, let me go back, with my convictions. This is what he's saying. The things that I choose to be convicted over. To drink, to not to drink, Sabbath day, not Sabbath, meat, no meat, whatever, like whatever that conviction is. Well, that conviction and my actions, how I live it out and how I live among others, stand rightly before God's judgment seat. If I'm convicted about something, when I see God, will that conviction matter before God? There's some people who are convict, just have this conviction about something, and they get so riled up about it. They start judging other people who don't have that conviction about it. And when they're going to see God face to face, I don't think that conviction is going to be an issue. I think God's going to be like, you wasted a lot of your energy. That was a gray area. I just asked you to love people, right? Not to judge them. Will your convictions, the things that you choose to do, things that matter to you, 
hold up when you're right before the final judgment before God? Will your actions, how you treat other people, how you show love to other people, how you hate people, how you mistreat people, will your actions stand rightly when you see God face to face? That is a hard question, isn't it? Like, Tim, we were having fun earlier with lemon juice. Like, what is this? Like, now we're getting real. Yeah, we're getting real. The bottom line is all about your heart, right? What is inside of you comes out of you. If judgment, if, if like ugly things come out of you, it's because it's in there. And God, in a loving, patient way, as the heavenly father that he is, wants to free you from those things. He wants to release those things from you. So you don't have to be bound up by those things but you can walk and live in love. Not only giving it, but receiving it from the God who gave everything for you to have. We will all stand before God one day, every single one of us. And there is the most important question that you'll be asked is, why should I let you in? Why should I let you into heaven? If there's, there's only one right answer, by the way. If you say, well, I've, I've been a good person. I've done my best. You know, I, I've, I've worked hard. And, you know, yeah, I know, my, I know I hit my brother a lot. But, I, you know, you know him, right? Like, you, but I've tried to be a good person. And so I think, I think I've done enough good to outweigh the bad to come in. He says, but you've still done the bad that bad is still there and it's undealt with. That doesn't get you in. Your best day and the best goodness doesn't get you in. The only way you get in is when you say, I know Jesus. And he said, I can come. And God looks at you and says, awesome, come on in. You say, but I saw all this bad stuff. He goes, no, I don't see any of the bad stuff. I see my, my son's name, Jesus, covered up all that bad stuff. And you've been forgiven. You've been made right before me. Just as if you had not sinned. Come on in. The only way to be with God is to be holy, to be perfect. And the only way to be holy and perfect is to be made holy and perfect by God himself. It's not on our works. It's not what we do. We can't get there. And so I'm, I, I'm leading us to a moment here. Some of you in this room, some of you online, some of you need to hear this. God loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to this earth. Jesus lived, he walked. That's why there's so many specials on National Geographic, because he was a real person. Jesus lived. The reality is he lived a perfect life, and then they killed him. He became for you the final sacrifice. He paid for your sin by dying on the cross because all sin costs death. God said, I want my son to pay for their death. I don't want, if they pay for their death, they're separated from me forever. I want my son to pay for that and so that they can be made right before me by that holy and perfect son. Good news is they tried to kill him they tried to close the tomb. They tried to put the biggest stone. They put, tried to put soldiers in front of that. Nothing could keep him in that tomb. There is no tomb with the body of Jesus in it because he rose again. 
The Holy Spirit's power came upon. He was resurrected. He showed himself to hundreds of people. The resurrected Savior. Eyewitness accounts saying, yeah, we saw him. We heard him. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for your sins, you will be saved. If you say, I want that, in that moment when you accept Jesus in your life, that naughty list, that all the bad things, all the sin is now forgiven. Jesus forgave you. And now before God, when you see him, you get to say, I'm only here because of Jesus. And when God sees you, he sees his son. And you're in. You're with him forever. In a place where there's no more sin, no more dying, no more crying, no more pain. It's all That's the end of the story. If you want to be part of that, if you want to join this group that says, hey, we want to choose to love each other, (laughs) if you want to be a part of God transforming you and freeing you, it all starts with that commitment. God, I'm giving you my life. I want you to forgive me now and forever, and I want to be yours. And so we're in this moment. We're going to take that time. If that's you, I'm going to say, know what your answer is going to be when you see God. Today, you can know that answer. And you say, I'm here because of Jesus. So in a moment, I'm going I'm to lead us in a prayer. And if you want to pray, if you want to be with God, today's your day. Awesome. Today's your day. If you knew God a long time ago, he kind of wandered away. You're trying to come back to him. Listen, if you accepted Christ a long time ago, your name's already written in the book of heaven. It's just time to grow now. It's time to just walk in obedience. It's time to, to, to do that, okay? But today, if you've never made that commitment, I would make it today. After that, Pastor Jim's going to come up and lead all of us in just the time of just processing and response. And we're going to sing a song together. But if you want Christ today, you can pray with me right now. Let's just bow our heads wherever you are. And I always say there's no magic prayer of the pastor. I'm no closer to God than anybody else in this room. I'm just a sinner who found a Savior. And if you... If you want that Savior, I would encourage you to to just pray this after me. Make it your own confession. All right? So if that's you, pray with me right now. Say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I know I'm not perfect. I know I can't get good enough to get to you and make my way to heaven. And today I'm choosing to give you my life. I confess that Jesus is your son, that you sent him and he died on the cross as the payment for my sin. Please forgive me of my sin, God. And I confess that he rose again and is alive today. And just like that, I want to be alive today, spiritually, God, in your presence. Give me your Holy Spirit. Give me your peace. Enter into my heart and life. I want you to be Lord over my life because I want to be transformed into the love that you've given me. So here I am, God. I'm yours. In Christ's name alone that I pray. Amen. If you pray anything like that, or if God works in your heart in a certain way, we do want to know about it. And so I would encourage you, just mark your Connect card, or right after, I'm going to hang it up here. You can see Pastor Jim. And we want to pray with you and encourage you as you start that path.
For those of you who are Christians, we're going to take some time to respond and let God speak to us. Yeah, as uh, Pastor Tim was talking, <clears throat> it, the, he says this a lot, and I think this is really, really good. This thought of what does love require of me? And I think that question is good from two different directions. What does love require of me in relationship with other people? And then also, what does love require from me in my relationship with God? What does God, because I love God, because I have accepted his love into my life, there are certain things that are now required of me, and it's called obedience. I don't obey to get a relationship with God, but after I start a relationship with God, obedience is my response. So what I want us to do, I want us to take uh, just uh, a short minute here. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you, I want you in your mind... I want you to start to answer this question. What does love require of me? I want you to get a picture in your mind of someone, perhaps, that has wronged you, that you are holding a grudge against. Maybe someone that you have wronged and someone is holding a grudge against you. What does love require of you in that relationship? But also, are there areas of, of obedience where you are not yielding to God's will? What does love require of you in your relationship with God? Where are you holding back from God? Romans 14 19 said, let us make every effort to live at peace with others. If there is someone that has wronged you, if you have wronged someone else, let us make every effort to live at peace with others. If there is a part of your will that you have not submitted to God, and you are living outside of God's will. Obedience requires you to lay that at God's feet and to yield that part of your will to him and to let him have his way in your life. Let him take that out of your life. He is so gentle. He is such a gentleman. Even when we are disobedient, he is such a gentleman in how he and how he removes those parts of our lives where we're hurting ourselves and where we're hurting other people. So I would ask you, uh, whoever that is that's on your mind or whatever that situation is, I'd like to lead you in this prayer. If you desire to be uh, squarely in God's will, I want you to pray this with me. And you can pray it to yourself. You can pray it out loud. It doesn't matter. I want you to say, God, I want my will to line up with yours. God, wherever I have been living outside of your will, I confess that to you because I don't want that any longer. I want to live my life focused on you. 
I want to live my life in obedience to you. I want to do whatever it takes to live at peace with others as according to your will. So hear our prayer, God. Hear these offerings to you. We give these things to you in Jesus' name.